And the theme of this letter, uh, by and large, is a theme of joy. 16 times in the book of Philippians, he says either rejoice or joy. And uh, written from a prison cell, a Roman prison cell at that, it's, it's kind of mind-blowing that that's the theme of this letter that he's writing to a church that he started on his second missionary journey. And so now some 10 years later, he's encouraging them as they're going through some difficult times from the midst of his difficult time that you can always have joy no matter what circumstances you're facing in this life. And so we dove into that in week number one. And last week, we talked about this idea that uh, even though we can have joy no matter what, no matter what circumstances we're facing, because joy is different from happiness, uh, we talked about the fact that our joy can actually complete the joy of others. And so our joy can go beyond ourselves, and we can play a role in completing the joy of the people that, that we're around. And last week, we introduced this idea of joy killing. And we talked last week about the first joy killer. This week, we're going to talk about a second joy killer. Last week, we talked about the this mindset that we can sometimes have, especially in the church world, where we allow ourselves to be driven by selfish ambition and vain conceit. In other words, we consider our interest above the interest of others, which is opposite of the way Paul teaches us to live our lives. And so when we do that, not only do we not make others' joy complete, as we have a responsibility to do in the church, but we also rob ourselves from the joy that we could have uh, being complete as well. Now, today we're going to look at chapter number three in this letter that Paul wrote, and we're going to talk about a second joy killer, a joy kill, if you will, uh, that my prayer is as a church, we can avoid killing joy altogether because joy is meant to be uh, for our good. Uh, so many times I think that we have this mindset that being a Christian is no fun, that we have lots of responsibilities and duties, um, and with that comes a lack of pleasure and a lack of uh, good fortune, and that we have to just live these boring lives that are kind of outcast in society. But uh, God wants us to have joy, Jesus wants us to have joy, and I want us to be a church that's full of joy. And so I love when I see people going through difficult situations, hold their head high, knowing that in Christ they can can endure any hardship that may come in this life because they know who they are in Christ and because they have a church that's behind them and supporting them and loving them uh, so that we can all navigate life's situations. And that's a great place to be. And so that's my prayer for our church. So all that being said, let's jump into chapter number three of the book of Philippians. And we're going to start uh, with verse one, and then I'm going to skip to the second third of the book, and then I'm going to come back. So we'll do a little skipping around today, but we'll, we'll make it through. Philippians chapter number three, starting in verse number one, uh, the apostle Paul says, finally, my brothers rejoice in the Lord. This is an incredible, incredible command for us. It's, it's an encouragement. It's a, it's an exhortation. It's not a suggestion. It's something that we should do. Rejoice in the Lord. Finally, my brothers rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write these same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. From prison, I'm going to keep writing the same things to you. It's no trouble because it's a safeguard to you. Um, I, I tend to think that I'm very similar to the people in Philippi in the sense that I need to have things repeated to me. I don't know if you fall into this category, but sometimes I hear things from the first time. And I might hear something, but I don't really listen to it. In other words, um, I hear it, but I don't make it practice. Does that make sense? And so he is saying, it's no trouble for me to write these things to you again, because it's really important. It's a safeguard 
for you. Now, a couple of things that I want to say here. Um, if you're the type of person like me that needs to have something told you over and over and over again, um, uh, we can look back over our lives and just wonder, like, why don't we listen the first time? Have you ever been in that boat? Um, I asked my mom actually this morning as I was just thinking through. Uh, I think my dad had the spiritual gift of repetition. In other words, like I felt like he told me a lot of the same things over and over again. And I always question like, why do you keep telling me like, the same things over and over again? Like I heard you the first time. And I realize now it's because it wasn't getting through my head. Like he wanted to instill some very important things into my life. And so I asked my mom this morning, I said, you know, what are, what are some things that um, you may have had to repeat to me over and over again that I just getting through to my head. And she didn't even hesitate, like just immediately out of her mouth. She says, well, what was that time that you were dating that specific girl? And we told you, you shouldn't be dating her. And um, I didn't realize at the time the importance of the decision that I made. See, when I was in high school, 17 years old, I fell in love for the first time, if that's what it's called. High school love is what it is. Um, and I was dating a girl that I probably shouldn't have been dating. Let's just be honest, I shouldn't be dating her. And my parents warned me that I shouldn't date her. And I had some heartaches and hardships somewhat in life because of that. And she told me this morning, she said, you don't know this, but I used to go up to our church and I would lay before the Lord and I would cry and pray that God would rescue you from that relationship. And uh, it took me a little while, but he finally did rescue me from that relationship. And looking back on it, I am incredibly thankful now that I did not end up with that uh, young lady because my life would be nowhere near what it is today had I. And I know that now. So if you're like me, and you hear things over and over again, and you wonder, like, why are you repeating yourself? I heard you the first time. It's probably because you're not putting into practice what you've heard, and there's a reason that something's being told to you again. So for, you know, 11 times, Paul uses the word rejoice in this letter to the Philippians. In other words, he wants you to rejoice. He wants you to understand what that means. And the thing that I noticed this week in reading this chapter specifically is that he says here, rejoice in the Lord. We know what it means to rejoice. Right? We rejoice in certain circumstances. We rejoice in successes. We rejoice in things that benefit us the way that we want them to benefit us. And when the outcome of our life looks like we have a desire for it to look, we know what it means to rejoice, to celebrate. But he's not telling us here that we're to rejoice in our own ambitions and our own successes and our own endeavors he's telling us to rejoice in the lord the lord who never changes he's the same yesterday today and forever as hebrews tells us he is someone jesus christ that we can rejoice in no matter what and so the encouragement for us as we start today is to rejoice in the lord doesn't matter what your circumstances look like doesn't matter how difficult life may seem in these moments we have an obligation, we have a responsibility, and we have a charge from Paul to always rejoice in the Lord. And so we let that be the foundation of our joy, and then we're on the right page. Now, I want to fast forward a little bit to verse number 18, and we're going to look at the second joy killer when it comes to living a life full of joy. And um, I think it's somewhat obvious for us after we read this that this is a joy killer. Uh, but there's a reason that Paul put us there, and I want us to kind of internalize it and move forward standing in this truth. Verse number 18 of Philippians chapter 3, Paul says, for, I had, for as I have often told you, again, he's like repeating himself to these people. I've told you this before. It's very important. As I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, listen to the passion in his tone, 
even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their enemy, their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. Their mind is on earthly things. Listen to how he describes this again. For as I've often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies to the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. It is near impossible for us to rejoice in the Lord when our mind is set on earthly things things. Again, if you're like me and you're hard-headed, your mind gets set on something, it's hard for you to change your mind because your mind is made up. And when our mind is set on earthly things, we kill the opportunities that we have to have joy in the Lord because they're enemies of one another. Okay, so we live in a fallen world. The world that we was born in, that we were born into, was a sinful world. Sin is part of our world. Evil is all around us. Uh, this world is driven by selfishness. People want what's best for themselves, and when our mind is set on earthly things and achieving, accomplishing, gaining pleasures that this world has to offer, it's near impossible for us to rejoice in the Lord because earthly things and the Lord. They're kind of enemies, as Paul puts it here. He goes on to talk about their destiny is destruction. They're headed down a path that's not going to turn out the way they hope it would. Uh, Their God is their stomach, meaning they live for the pleasure of the moment. Uh, they, They desire things, they crave things, they want things, and they pursue things. They chase after things, and when they get things, their appetite grows and grows, and they want more things. And when we have a mind that is set on earthly things, we forget that earthly things can do nothing for us in the long run. I mean, think about this. No matter what amount of money that you collect for yourself in this world, no matter how many possessions you have, no matter how many friendships you have in this world or relationships that drive every opportunity, no matter how high you climb on any corporate ladder, no matter how much accolade or fame you may gain in this world, when you're put into the ground, it doesn't go with you. You've heard that, right? You've heard that that there's no U-Haul behind a hearse. They don't put your stuff with you. You don't take it with you into the next life. And we we spend our time and energy with our mindset on things that can't satisfy in the long run. And we try to find joy in those things, but really we're pursuing happiness. And we've talked about in week one how happiness is so elusive. Because as soon as we find happiness, it leaves us. Because happiness is based on external things and circumstances, but joy is an internal thing that happens by choice and not by chance. And so the, first, the second joy killer that we've got to make sure we steer clear of is setting our mind on earthly things. We allow our focus to be on the wrong things. We allow our gaze to be fixed on things that really rob joy from us rather than adding joy to our lives. I want you to think just for a moment. Think, think of something that right now you just feel like if I had this, like if I just, this one thing, then my life would be so much better. Okay? For some of you, it would be a possession. For some of you, it might be a relationship. For some of you, it might be a promotion. Uh, for others of you, you know, it could be um, a, a position 
as far as your role in this world. Some of you say, if I were president of the United States, my life would be so much better, and you're just completely naive. But the truth is, is when we think that there's just one thing that would make our life so much better, we're allowing ourselves to be earthly-minded. Because the truth is, when we get that one thing, what does our mind say? Well, if I could just have one other thing, and it's a growing appetite that's always eluding us, that makes us crave things that give us pleasure as this earth defines. And it never leads to joy. It leads to temporary happiness, but it never leads to joy. And this is the sad thing. This is why it's devastating when I hear stories um, in the news like, like the suicide of Robin Williams, one of the funniest men that I've ever heard or seen on film, um, didn't have true joy. For whatever reason, he decided to take his own life. And this is a man that by the earth's standards should have no reason not to have joy. But it's just a dangerous game that we play when we set our mind on earthly things and we convince ourselves that if we can gain just one more thing, just one more relationship, just one more promotion that we will achieve happiness as if, as if joy is, is a goal that we reach someday and we're chasing after. But it's not. Joy is an internal thing and it's based on Jesus Christ truly in a relationship with him that will endure time, that will endure hardships, that will endure circumstances. So if we're going to steer away from fixing our mind, from setting our mind on earthly things, um, then I think there's three things that we need to set our focus on, that we need to make sure that we're intentional about looking at, about um, you know, making sure our focus is fixed on these three things. Uh, so let's go back now to verse number two, and we're going to catch up, um, and then I'll, I'll share with you what I think the first thing that we need to focus on is if we're truly going to rejoice in the Lord by not allowing ourselves to set our minds on earthly things. Verse number two, Paul says, watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. Speaking to a church here who's being persecuted, uh, he's saying, watch out. Everyone doesn't have your best interest in mind, and this is uh, true for all of us. Verse number three, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. He's saying we are the people of God, we're different from the people of the world, and we know that the confidence that we have isn't in our flesh. In other words, it's not in our accomplishments, it's not in the things we do, it's in the person of Jesus Christ. He says, but, but if anyone had reason to put confidence in the flesh, like, I'm that guy. So Paul's going to take a moment here and he's going to say, let me just tell you who I am. In case you don't know who Paul is, he's about to tell us who he is. If anyone else thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Verse 5, circumcised on the eighth day. He's saying, uh, I grew up according to the Jewish law. Okay, I was circumcised on the eighth day. That makes me part of God's chosen people, which was the Jewish people. And that was prophesied. And he's saying, I'm, I'm one of those guys. Of the people of Israel, okay? I belong to the lineage of God's promise through Abraham. Like, I'm part of that, that group. Of the tribe of Benjamin. 
Inside the nation of Israel, there were 12 tribes. The tribe of Benjamin is actually where the first king of Israel came from. His name was Saul, which Saul was probably named after. He later became known as Paul after his conversion. So he's saying, you know, even inside God's chosen people, I'm from the line that, I'm from the family that, you know, produced the first king. Like we are the high class tribe inside this group of people. A Hebrew of Hebrews. Both my mom and my dad, they're both part of great lineage. I don't just have like a dad that's prestigious. I don't just have a mom that's prestigious. I have a full invested, I'm Hebrew by all means. In regard to the law of Pharisee, okay, Pharisees as we know it today isn't something that we would aspire to be. These were extremely religious people. These were extremely um, Uh, zealous people for the law of God, and they were blameless in the eyes of people, uh, but they were misguided in some ways, so we don't pursue to be them. But but this church would have recognized, man, he was was a Pharisee. Like, he was extremely religious. Like, he, he obeyed the law. He was known as someone extremely religious. As for zeal persecuting the church, that was the mission in the heart of the Jewish people, especially the Pharisees once the church was birthed. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. Okay, so he's saying, we know that we don't put confidence in the flesh, but if we did, I would have lots of reasons to. I'm from the right family. I'm from the right tribe. I'm faultless according to the law. I've lived my life extremely impressive to people who are religious. Jewish people look to me as a role model. I've done a lot of things right in their eyes. Okay, and he's reminding us, but our confidence isn't in the flesh. It's not in doing the right things. It's in who we are, not what we do. Okay, so he's saying, I have reason to, but we don't. Verse number seven. But whatever was to my profit... I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Whatever was to my profit, whatever got me the attention, whatever got me the accolades, whatever caused people to look at me as a role model, all the things that I've done right in the past, he's saying, I consider loss for the sake of Jesus Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them rubbish. They're garbage. They're nothing. They have no value to me. That I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Listen to this statement that he makes here. A a man that... (laughs) I would love to be close to Paul in the relationship that he had with Christ. I just, I view him that highly in my mind. He says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. This man, Paul, who was, I mean, he was, he was the man when it came to living a perfect life in the, role, in, in the way the church viewed it. And he says, I consider all of that, I consider it rubbish. I consider it lost for the sake of knowing Christ. And he says, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. A man who obviously knew Christ says, I want to know Christ deeper and more intimate. 
The first thing that we've got to fix our eyes on, that we've got to focus on, if we want to make sure that we don't allow our mind to be set on earthly things, which kills our joy, is that we've got to see God's redemption from our past. We've got to see God's redemption for our past. And let me, let me just pause here and say this. When we talk about seeing God's redemption from our past, most of us would go back to the things we're kind of ashamed of in our past, right? All the mistakes that we made, all the bad things that we've done, the things that we can't even believe that we did, that we're ashamed of, that we don't want people to find out about. We say, I'm so thankful that God redeemed me from that, that his grace was extended to me, that he doesn't hold that stuff against me. It's kind of like that's the secret closet stuff that we've kind of swept in and we don't want to talk about it anymore because we're ashamed of it. We all have those things. We've made terrible decisions. We've made, we've made bad choices. Uh, we are by nature sinful, evil people. And we've got that side. And when we talk about seeing God's redemption from our past, we always look at that room, don't we? Thank, thank the Lord that he redeemed me from that, that he freed me from that, that he gave me his righteousness, that that's not held against me. But Paul doesn't focus on those things here, does he? He doesn't say, this is my secret closet of terrible things that I've done, and, and God's redeemed me from that. I consider all that stuff lost that I may gain Christ. No, he talks about all the good things that he's done, all the religious things that he's done. All the things that most people hearing this would have been proud to be able to say. So here's what we tend to do. Is we tend to look at our past and all the, the negative bad things that we want to forget. We tend to say, thank you Jesus for freeing me from that stuff. You've redeemed me. You've set me free. It's not held against me. But we kind of look at all the good stuff and it's like we have a trophy case. All right, we've got a room in the back for all the bad stuff. But we've got a trophy case for all the good stuff. And we kind of hold our head high and stick our chest out. We're like, I'm so proud of this that I've done in my life. You know, these are the things that I want to talk about. You know, look what I've done, the accomplishments. You know, I, I'm in the right family. I've done the right things. I've been faultless according to the law. You know, people could look at me as a role model. I'm an example above all examples. I've done the right things. And it's this trophy case that he is saying, I consider it rubbish. Because our past isn't worthy to sustain joy, whether it's bad or good. If we allow ourselves to live in the past and focus solely on the past, then it will kill and rob our joy for now and for the future. And so Paul is saying, we've been redeemed from our past. We've been redeemed from the terrible stuff by the grace of God. We've been redeemed from all the great stuff that we've done. And we're not going to focus on that stuff. We're going to focus on the fact that God has redeemed me from it all. In other words, he doesn't care if it was good or bad. He's not keeping a scorecard. He's not wanting me to pursue trophies and avoid closet secrets. He's wanting me to stand in his redemption holistically. In other words, it doesn't matter if I've done good. It doesn't matter if I've done bad. I can stand in the joy of Christ because he has redeemed me. He doesn't keep scores. That's great news. It's incredible news because if that were not the case, then we would fall into the same category as these Philippians that Paul is saying, put no confidence in the flesh. Why is he having to say that? Because they're wanting trophies. 
They're persistent on doing good things. Their mind is fixed on the things that they're supposed to be doing. I got to do the right things. I got to do the right things. That's how I find my joy. But it's just not true. It's not true. Should we do good things? Absolutely. Should we avoid bad things? Lord willing. But that can't be what we're fixed on. It can't be our ambition. Our ambition has to be in Jesus and what he's done for us. Because truth be told, when we start collecting trophies, we start building pride. And that pride drives us further from God than the acts that gave us the trophies did. Let me, let me kind of put it to you this way. Uh, those of you who are married will understand this. Those of you who know what it is to love someone, uh, su- suppose that, that you just, you're head over heels in love. You do all the right things. You send the flowers, you know, you send the cards. You're romantic. You're thoughtful. And fast forward 10 years, and things aren't the same. And you say, look, I used to give you flowers. Remember that? Is that not good for now? Like I used to tell you I love you. Remember that? We're still good, right? Remember when I did those thoughtful things? Remember, remember when I was romantic? Like that's good for now. It still holds up, remember? Don't forget those things. Stop focusing on now and remember the past because that's what defines our relationship, right? And you would be a fool to think that way because it's absolutely not true. The past is important, but it doesn't define your present situation. And no matter what good or bad you've done in the past, it can't define where you are now and the joy that you have in the moment. And so we've got to fix our eyes on God's redemption from our past. The second thing we've got to fix our eyes on is God's purpose in our present. We fix our eyes on his redemption from our past, and we fix our eyes on his purpose for our present. Verse number 12. Not that I've already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect. I love this about Paul. He says, I'm a work in progress. And this was a man who had reason, as we just read, uh, to say that's who you want to be like. He says, I haven't obtained it. I'm still working on it. I still struggle with some of these things. I'm still trying to figure it out. God's helping me get to this position. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. This is what I love about Paul. Paul sees things the way I see things when it comes to sports. He says it's not enough just to play the game. You should try to win. It's not enough just to be on the field. It's not enough just to be on the court. It's not enough just to be on the team. You should be trying your best to win. Now, confession time here. I don't enjoy playing sports or games with people that don't take sports or games seriously. I'm competitive by nature, and I love to win, and I love trying my best to win. And if I'm trying to win against someone who doesn't care if they win or lose, then it doesn't feel good when I win. Does that make sense? So if I'm trying to win and you don't care if you win or lose and I beat you, then I'm like, I just beat someone who doesn't care if I beat them and that doesn't really 
accomplish much. So I want you to try. I want you to try to beat me because then when I beat you, I can be like, you tried to beat me and I beat you. So that's what's up. And I'll feel better about myself. But some people, they just, you know, they just, just play the game. It's a fun game. It's a fun game. Just not take it too serious. I'm not that person, okay? There's a group of people, they can, they can play the game together. They can have fun. But I'm there to win, right? I'm going to try my best. And Paul is pointing out to us here, you've got a purpose in your present. Like God has a purpose for you right now. And your role in the church, your role as a Christian, is not just to be on the team. It's not just to like flounder around like you're having fun, enjoying being a Christian. Paul says, I press on to win the prize for which God has called me. In other words, I feel like God has called me. I have a purpose, and I'm going to fight my best. I'm going to fight my hardest. I'm going to try with everything within me to win, to do what God's called me to do. I'm going to give it my best. See, we, we get this backwards in the Christian world, too, and we kind of have this, like, t-ball mindset where everybody gets trophies and, you know, we're just glad that you participated. And it's not about getting trophies so much, but God has a call on your life. He's got a purpose for you. You matter to the plan of God. He has a reason for you in the family that you're in, at the job that you're at, in the neighborhood that you live in. There's a purpose for you being there. And if we'll stop long enough just to say, Lord, show me your purpose. Help me to fix my eyes on that purpose, then you'll find joy in fulfilling that purpose. If you'll pursue it, if you'll try hard, if you'll fight for it, if you'll allow yourself to participate in the mission that God has called you to. And that's a different mindset than says, you know, I'm a Christian because, you know, it's the popular thing to do, or I'm a Christian because my family is a Christian, or I'm a Christian because, you know, it helps my business. You know, I meet relationships and then people, you know, get my products. Uh, we have all kinds of different ambitions for being part of the church. But Paul is saying here, there's a purpose for you. Specifically, individually, you matter. And if you fix your eyes on that purpose in your present, in your today, in your right now, then you'll find joy in that more so than if you just kind of float through life as if your purpose isn't important. All of us who are mature, verse 15, should take such a view of things. This is a maturity issue. The more we grow in the Lord, the more we understand the importance of God's call in our life to be purposeful. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Verse 17, join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. Strive for God's best in this moment. Strive to participate in his purpose for your today. Focus on the redemption from your past, good, bad, or indifferent. Focus on his purpose in your present. And then let's skip over verses 18 and 19 and jump to verse 20. And the third focus that we need to have is for God's plans for our future. Verse number 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies 
so that they will be like his glorious body. If you're a follower of Christ, if you call yourself a Christian, if, if you have a desire to live a godly life, not only does it involve God's redemption from your past and his purpose from your present, but it involves his plans for your future. And it's a mindset and an understanding that our citizenship is in heaven, not on this earth. Remember, his, his command to us here is not to fix, set our minds on earthly things. Why do we not set our minds on earthly things? Because we're citizens of heaven. We're part of a family of God that transcends this world. That all the evil and all the bad in this world, uh, we have a citizenship that supersedes that. And there's coming a day, this is great, especially for my family. We've been dealing with a lot of sickness lately. Where there's coming a day, we're going to be part of the family of God in heaven. And there's going to be new bodies that our bodies are going to be transformed into God's and glorious bodies like Christ. And we're not going to deal with the things that we deal with in this world. The heartaches, uh, the downfalls, the embarrassments, the failures, the shame. Everything that we deal with in this life that seems to rob joy from us, we won't deal with any longer. Because we're citizens of heaven. We're citizens of the family of God. And there's coming a day. God has plans for our future. There's coming a day where there'll be no more suffering, there'll be no more pain, there'll be no more heartaches, there'll be no more tears, that God will wipe away every tear from our eyes and we'll enjoy a glorious body in a glorious heaven with a glorious King Jesus. And when we allow ourselves to see God's redemption from our past and we see God's purpose in our present and we see God's plans for our future, then we can't be earthly-minded. Then we make sure that our joy is in the Lord and not in the things of this earth. And that's our encouragement today. That as we leave, we ask ourselves this question, in what ways is my mind set on things of this earth? In what ways have I bought into the lies that this earth can bring fulfillment to my life? In what ways have I believed that I can find joy in accomplishments or things of this world and stepping back from those things and saying, no, I'm going to stop looking at those and I'm going to set my mind on God's redemption from my past, on his purpose from my present and his plans for my future. And if we'll do that, if we'll do that, we'll begin to experience more joy in this life than we are currently. And not only that, we'll be an encouragement to others because of our perspective. And no matter what we go through, we can have joy, no matter what. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for, thank you for joy. Thank you, Lord, that you have redeemed us from our past, that you don't hold our mistakes against us, and you don't let us get too wrapped up in our accomplishments and our successes to think that we're responsible for any goodness in our relationship with you. Thank you for your purpose in our today. That each of us specifically has a purpose. That you desire for us to participate in your mission in the earth. And you have a calling on our life. That we can make a difference. That we can be part of your story. That we can make a difference. 
And we thank you for your plans for our future, that there's coming a day where we're going to be rescued from this dark earth. And we're going to experience such beauty and glory and majesty in your presence. We long for that day, but Father, in this moment, I ask you to help us to set our mind on things that are not of this earth and to fix our gaze on earth, on heavenly things. Give us a mindset that allows us to see earthly things for what they are and not buy into the lies and myths that think that they'll bring fulfillment to our lives. And as we do that, Lord, as we focus on your redemption from our past and your purpose for our present and your plans for our future, may we experience joy unspeakable in your presence. I pray blessings on everyone here in Christ's name. Amen.